And here I am. I'm already recording. Everything seems to be working just fine. Did you have to, like, sacrifice a chicken or something like that to get the bad juju out of your studio? Uh, pretty close. What happened was I had some third-party RAM put in my iMac. That, uh, that third-party RAM decided it was going to collapse and die, which then corrupted the entire operating system and brought the whole thing down. So I have the new computer, or the computer back with new RAM, and uh, everything is tickety-boo. All right. That sucks. What are you going to do? You, you know what the next thing I did was? <laughs> was. I bought an iPhone 10 and I bought another iMac and two iPads. Wow, they saw you coming. Oh, yeah. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Fan 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Donald Trump does the old switcheroo on the JFK assassination files. Most were released, but not all. We'll look at the latest conspiracy theory. Oh, there's conspiracies here. Plus, how the Kennedys and Camelot influenced music. And what we can learn about the psyche of Donald Trump. Dr. Nate Regeer on why the U.S. president isn't crazy. I still say he's crazy. Fake news! Guests of Geeks and Beats stay at the luxurious Trump Hotel in downtown Toronto. Because when you think class, you think Trump. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. See, here's the issue. I have uh, a certain amount of HST that I have to play, pay every quarter because of, of my business. And uh, what I want to do is increase my into, input tax credit so I don't have to pay so much tax while also acquiring some capital expenditure goods. <laughs> it's like that Monty Python routine. <laughs> I know it is, isn't it? <laughs> Where they lease back the machine that goes ping. <laughs> best girl it's you know the fall of 1963 you're at the chocolate shop your favorite radio stations playing your favorite song sugar shack by jimmy gilmer and the fireballs and on comes a breaking news item here is a bulletin from cbs news in dallas texas three shots were fired at president kennedy's motorcade in downtown dallas the first reports say that president kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting I 
don't think we got out of Donald Trump the promised Kennedy JFK assassination files that we were looking for. Weren't we looking for a smoking gun and something that would uh, wrap up all of those conspiracy theories into a nice little bow? Well, first of all, under the law, we were supposed to get all the documents that had been sequestered away since 1992. And we did not. There are about 2,800 that have been held back pending further review by security by security agencies, which really annoys me because, wait a second, you've had these documents in your possession since 1992. You knew that this day was coming. And at the very last second, you decide that you want to review that material. Couple of things about that. First of all, what this says to me is that Donald Trump has been strong armed by the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and whoever else opposed the release of these documents. This makes him look weak. What they have done is basically shown him that the deep state is still in charge. I don't care if you're the president. You are not going to release this material because we say so. Are you tired of winning yet? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Don. Are you, are you tired <laughs> of winning yet? And then the other thing is uh, maybe there are some delicate things within these documents that nobody wants to have exposed just yet. Uh, most of the players, are, of course, dead or, or, or very, very old. It doesn't really matter. But I think there's a couple of things in there that if they were actually made public, it would make the FBI and the CIA look really, really, really bad. Oh, you think that's what it is? It's not a national security issue. It's they're, they're, they're covering their own ass. Now, here's an example of something that I heard, and this came from somebody who is acquainted with the way the deep state works and maybe of how things operated back in 1960. Hey, hey, hang on. Let, let me get my tinfoil hat on. Oh, yeah. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. Okay. okay. All right. This is 61, 62, 63. We know that JFK had Addison's disease, which was a hormonal disease um, headquartered in the kidneys. And he apparently, and this is what somebody said, and I, I won't footnote it because it's just too crazy. <laughs> you, you could tell us, but you'd have to kill us because it's confidential. I would have to kill you. So... Uh, Kennedy was going undergoing treatment for Addison's disease, and whatever the treatment was had made him slightly psychotic. And one of the things that he ended up doing was sending in the army, not the army, but the, the, the renegade guerrillas for the Bay of Pigs episode, and failing miserably at invading Cuba with, with the Bay of Pigs. And then, you know, you have to understand, too, that a president is merely a figurehead. It is a part-time job. The longest <laughs> this particular person can last in that position is eight years. The people who really run the government is the military-industrial complex. So the people who run the CIA, the people who run the military, the people who run the NSA, the people who run the FBI, they're the ones that are really in charge. So after the Bay of Pigs fiasco, they decided that, eh, you know what, this guy's just a little bit too much of a loose cannon. And there was a nod here or there that uh, basically said that, uh, okay, he's got to go. And so that's, that's, that's another one. Then again, let me give you a third. And this one actually has a little bit basis. In fact, Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald actually did go to the Russian cons or the Russian embassy in Mexico City uh, earlier in 1963. And he wanted to talk to them about something. And a lot of what happened during that visit has never really been reported. So it could be 
two things. Number one, the Russians, they don't want to poke the bear because the Russians actually had talked to Oswald before the assassination. And the documents do say that after the assassination, they were very worried that they would be made the fall guys and that a nuclear war would result. But they were also surprised as well. So that strikes them off the list of conspiracies. Yes, yes, it does. However, you know, Oswald being... In, in, in Mexico City, talking to the, the Russians, saying that he had information or wanted to get to 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 get information is suspicious because how did the FBI, how did the CIA lose contact with him or did they lose contact with him and not report the contact? So, again, red flag, did these guys uh, screw up, allowing Oswald to become the lone gunman, the nut? That, uh, that shot Kennedy in Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963. At geeksandbeats.com, our Amber Healy and Shane Alexander put together how music's been influenced by all of this. And apparently Dale and Grace, big time singers at the time, uh, and their track, I'm Leaving It All Up To You, was the number one track on that day. They were there. I'm leaving it all up to you. Okay, that's interesting. I have taken a trip to Dealey Plaza. I have I've done the entire Kennedy tour. So I've been to the Texas Theater. I was where J.D. Tippett was shot. I went to where the Carousel Club was. I I stood. There's actually, you know, on 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 Elm Street in the center lane, there is an X. Somebody has painted on the street an wow. X, and that's. Uh, what is it, uh, frame 313 or whatever it is, that's where the headshot was. It's actually painted on the street. As they are inclined to do so, musicians took Kennedy's death as inspiration, Shane writes. Some of the songs are respectful and mournful, like Simon Garfunkel's Sound of Silence. Mm, okay, all right, we'll go with that. Who said I you do not know? Silence like a cancer grows. My words that I might teach you Take my arms that I might reach you But my words Like silent raindrops fell Echo me Of you know, one of the things I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is watching the Vietnam War documentary on PBS, the one by Ken Burns, and the early docu- uh, the early part of the documentary talk about the mood of the United States in the early 1960s and through the months and, and next couple of years after JFK was assassinated. And you get a sense of what the music was trying to tell us about the mood of the United States. So, okay, sound of science, Simon and Garfunkel, okay. That's fine. Others sound upbeat, but are reflective like seconds from Human League. Wow, jumping right into the 80s for that one. Wow. Uh, didn't see that one coming. The shark was heard around the world for a second. It took seconds of your time to take his life. It took seconds. Of your time to take his life. It took seconds. 
And then there's Elvis Costello's Less Than Zero, the Dallas version, in which a woman tries to deflect the heaviness of the assassination by diverting her attention to the future. Wait a second. Less Than Zero has a Dallas version? That's about uh, Oswald Mosley. Mosley, isn't it? I couldn't tell you. You're the uh, music no. guy. Uh, no, no, no. That, that's, okay. We're going to have to have a staff meeting and figure something out. <laughs> uh, but then we, we were talking about uh, references to just the Kennedys in general, because my favorite one comes from the Tragically Hip's Little Bones. Uh, and it's um, uh, talking about things that are gone, including football Kennedy style. Oh, okay. There you go. I never thought of that. All right, fine. But you can picture it, right? You can just picture Robert Kennedy throwing the ball to his big brother and um, bro going for the the touchdown. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you can. Playing uh, in Hyannisport or wherever they were, we're hanging out, yeah. So I take it you're quite upset as a big uh, conspiracy theorist yourself that we're not getting all the documents. Well, listen, I've been following this uh, since I was a kid, and I want all the information I can possibly get. You should see the shelves in my, my library downstairs. It's filled with Kennedy assassination books. As soon as Trump tweeted, though, that he was going to release the documents with this proviso pending, what was the line? Pending further review by the security agencies. Something like that. Um, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, he's not going to do it. That, that's that's a tell. That, that's a, that's one of the, the pathologies of the U.S. president. You can always tell when he's given himself an out on any grand statement he's made. Yes. So um, we have 180 days before this stuff has to come out. And whether or not we're going to get everything, I think it's really doubtful. Again, I go back to this idea that the um, the CIA and the FBI really screwed up. And if if all this redacted information is finally made available, they're going to be made to look really, really, really bad. And that's going to create all kinds of additional issues for the agencies when it comes to conspiracy theories and laying blame about this whole thing. Because, again, this is one of the most traumatic events the United States has ever gone through. We're still feeling the reverberations 50 years later, more than 50 years later. So as as, uh, somebody's covering their ass, somebody really is. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. So just because you act crazy doesn't mean you are crazy. Critics of U.S. President Donald Trump call him unhinged, mentally ill. But this week we learn he just needs a hug and to be told he's doing fine. Our guest says Trump's behavior is predictable, sequential. It has an observable pattern of negative behavior, typical of someone who descends into deeper and deeper self-sabotaging distress. Nate Regeer is a Ph.D., a former practicing psychologist from the University of Kansas and the CEO, the co-founder of the leadership communication consulting firm Next Element. He joins us from Kansas. Good to have you with us. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation to be on your show. Okay, you better have a really good story here because (laughs) I'm having a really hard time understanding that this guy 
needs a hug and we'll all be better. Well, I agree. He does not need a hug, but he needs something that he's not getting. <laughs> well, what is it? I mean, we've heard that he is a uh, a narcissist. We have heard that he is autistic. We have heard many other explanations for his behavior, which seems to be one of constantly lying, doubling down on his lies, and otherwise not showing a tremendous amount of empathy. Witness the paper towel throwing incident in Puerto Rico. So what's going on here? Well, I, I don't think he's crazy, and I've, I've heard a lot of these. There was a group of psych, or, or I think psychiatrists that got together and went public with a mental health diagnosis. And um, uh, Bill Eddy is a guy that's written a lot about high-conflict personalities, and he's diagnosed Trump with that. Um, I... I tend to prefer the explanation that he's got a particular personality type, and I'm keen on this because I share a lot of those qualities. Okay. Uh, now, on the par- on the positive side, on the positive side, I should say. Uh, so I I have a sense. I think there's a personality that's going on here that we're seeing misused. Okay. Let's begin by saying that we are not. Are we? Let's begin by saying: Are we invoking the the Goldwater Doctrine here? <laughs> Explain what I'm talking about, Nate. Well, it's not appropriate for a uh, licensed clinical behavioral health specialist to make a diagnosis without meeting someone. Is that what you're talking about? That's the one. And it was with Barry yes. Goldwater that we saw this back in the 1960s and early 1970s. Yeah, so I uh, today you're definitely not going to hear me making a, a clinical diagnosis of this man. Although the group that came went public said that there's enough evidence publicly that they felt confident doing it, uh, but that's not what I'm going to do today. I'll probably probably make a personality diagnosis though. Right. So you look back 40 years ago to a psychologist named Taby Collar who discovered a pattern by which humans interacted in healthy and unhealthy means. So when it comes to it, you're saying this is not a healthy promoter of oneself. Donald Trump is a distressed promoter, and there are three degrees of that distress? Yeah. Dr. Kaler made a fascinating discovery about how the pattern with which people communicate can predict their personality, and there are six specific within us all of us all of us have all six but but every one of us has one that's that's pref that's a preference and one that tends to kind of dominate in terms of how we're motivated and how we behave in distress and and trump exhibits a lot of help when he's not in a bad space when he's really humming particularly pre prior to being president he demonstrated some of the great qualities of what we would call a promoter which is he's very action-oriented fantastic deal maker he's negotiator extraordinaire uh, he loves risk. He loves excitement and the thrill of the chase. You know, he doesn't crumble under pressure, and he's incredibly entrepreneurial. And so, those are some great positive qualities of the promoter. But those qualities only come out when they're in a healthy place, and when they're not in a healthy place, they look really different. All right. What does it take to get one of these people in an unhealthy place? With Donald Trump, he is being besieged on all sides by people who oppose him uh, within his own party and without. And he does seem to have this need to go back to the base for these campaign style rallies. So he gets love from people who agree with what he's doing. And that seems to energize him. It takes him back to the campaign trail when he was humming. Right. Yeah. And that that's a great question is what does it take to get these people healthy again? What promoter 
what promoter personality types need, need, need to be healthy is they need a ton of excitement and a lot of action in a short period of time. So deal making, taking risks, being the hero, the thrill of the chase, the limelight, those are things that really motivate these people. So like personally, I, I said I have a lot of qualities. I played tennis in college because tennis is a one-on-one sport, very exciting, and it's very much mono mano there's, it's not a team sport. It's not one of these things where you work collaboratively. And I loved entrepreneur. I had deals. I had small companies going when I was 10 years old. But it's it's all about getting this thrill of the chase and the risk and the excitement to be able to leverage that charisma for exciting things to happen. But I'll tell you what, nothing could be further from what it's like to be president. So I think the reason he's in distress is because there's not enough excitement in action. Everything goes slow. He's surrounded by people that are different personality types than him. They're very logic-oriented thinkers who want to have all the data. Or it's the persister personality type, which is very value-driven, and they're loyal to their constituency and they're loyal to their values. These people do not make decisions quickly. And so they these people prefer a traditional democratic style where there's exchange of data and information and people give and take and they make decisions. But Trump wants autocratic leadership. He wants to just give the edict and say, this is how it's going to be. You guys go figure it out and make it happen. And that's just not how the government works. Well, that works just fabulously for Trump organization. He can be that king at the top of the castle kind of thing. But to your point, when one doesn't get their needs met positively, it's almost like the three circles of hell. First degree, second degree, third degree. And I recognize first degree right out of the gate. This is a man who has a history, a recent history and a long past of throwing people under the bus. And you point out that the first degree level right there out of the gate, withdraws support and leaves people to fend for themselves. Yeah. Promoters, what Dr. Kaler discovered is every personality type, when they're entering distress, it's a very predictable, sequential kind of descent into hell, like you say. And it's so easy to see. And promoters, when they're in first degree, and by the way, all of us go into first degree distress hundreds, if not thousands of times a day, and we pop right back out. But what we see is Trump is pretty chronically in first and second degree distress. So he he has some real typical strategies for letting people fend for themselves. So when he's not getting too excited, when he's not getting enough excitement, he tends to just tell everybody else what to think and what to feel. How many times have you heard him say things like, you know, it's true. You'll love this, or you're going to get tired of winning as if he can tell us how to feel. So what happens next? Well, what's next then is second degree distress. If things don't get more exciting and get amped back up again, then he then promoters go into second degree and that's where they start using their charm and their charisma to turn the tables on people and manipulation is their character is their characteristic behavior and so they start to believe that the rules don't apply to them or maybe they can uh, um shift the limelight. They're really, really good at when they start to get cornered, all of a sudden they can shift the tables. And next thing you know, the interviewer is cornered or the, or the lawyer is cornered or whatever. Um, and so I remember when I was in high school and, and if, if a guy thought a girl was going to break up with him, he would, he would preemptively break up with her. Um, and so Promoters in second and third degree distress are really good at breaking up with you before you break up with them. Well, this is something that he learned from Roy Cohn, the lawyer. Uh, Roy Cohn was the chief lawyer of Joseph McCarthy back in the 1950s. 
And one of the things that Cohn always told Trump was never apologize, never admit you're wrong, double down, double down, double down. And I guess that became part of his personality when it came to dealing with conflict. Right. So what makes this different from just describing someone as a promoter who finds themselves under distress and someone who is quite simply a sociopath? That's a great question. And every personality type, if we spend enough time in deep enough distress, we start to look mentally ill. And Promoters, particularly, when they're in deep enough distress for long enough, their behavior starts to look a lot like some mental health conditions. And sociopathy, narcissism, antisocial personality are three of the ones that tend to be associated or look a lot like promoters in distress. And I think that's why a lot of people are saying he's mentally ill or he's sociopathic because promoters in distress, they have no empathy. They do not care. And promoters in general are struggle with empathy. So we see Trump really, he looks so awkward whenever he's in a situation where he's got to show compassion. We saw this recently with the vet, um, or, or the, the parent of the, of the person who had gotten killed, just very difficult showing caring. But if you take that to an extreme, it becomes sociopathy. All right. So here's a man in a position that is going to find himself in all kinds of stress, stress that we can't even imagine. So he's having issues with North Korea, for example. He's having issues with members of his own party. He's having issues with um, other world leaders, ranging from Theresa Mays to uh, Angela Merkel. What does that how does that vote for the United States? I'm I'm scared. I feel scared because what what this personality type typically does is they double down and they like to create negative drama and they like to to set up these high stakes situations that they can negotiate themselves out of so that they can look like the hero. And I think that's exactly the opposite of where leaders need to be going in the world right now, which is we can, nobody can survive alone. No country can go it alone in today's world. And promoters like to go it alone. They like to be the hero. They want to be the single person to get all the credit when something goes great. But they're not really good team players. And so I'm worried about this because we're creating enemies. And and North Korea is a great example where I think it's exciting for Trump to have this little game of cat and mouse uh, with Kim Jong-un. It's exciting because the stakes are so high, but it's not helpful and it's dangerous. Well, yeah. And again, we we can look at something like the North American Free Trade Agreement negotiations, which are not going well for Canada and Mexico, because he seems to have this this idea that he can bully these other two countries into tipping the scales completely in America's favor. And, and you know, it's not just him playing this zero-sum game where you either win or you lose. He's, he's now dealing with situations that affect the lives of of millions of people, billions of people, most of whom are non-Americans. So how do we get him back on track? Well, that's 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 what we need to be doing because the stakes are high. Aside from a hug. Yeah. The stakes are high and he doesn't he doesn't have another way of doing this. I I don't I don't think we should give him credit for knowing better and we shouldn't assume that he is a a great politician or sorry, a great um, diplomat because he's not. He knows how to do one thing, which is make deals, and he knows how to raise the stakes 
and le- and leverage his resources to be able to get people to give him what he wants. When that doesn't happen, he needs new ways of doing things. So I I think that what we need to do is and I've been writing a lot about this. We have to understand his personality and start motivating him because what Dr. Kaler discovered 40 years ago is if for any personality type, if we don't get our needs met in a healthy way, we will attempt to get those very same needs met negatively with or without awareness. And it's not a, a, a matter of learning better. It's who we are. It's like we only have two choices, motivate him like he positively or deal with the consequences. We can't turn him into something other than he is. So I, I have some ideas um, and love to share what I think we could do. Uh, the people around him that have influence could get him gone on the right track. Fidget spinner solution, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's another personality type called the rebel and they love those fidget spinners because they like to move. Actually, that's how they focus. But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother uh, podcast. Ah, so what's the idea? Well, some things I here's some things I think we could do. And, and by we, I mean people who are who are around, surrounded him, people who he looks looks to um, that have some influence. One is we got to give him exciting challenges. We can't leave him up to his own devices to go find excitement by stoking by calling Kim Jong Un Rocket Man. Um, we need to we need to proactively give him exciting things to do because they thrive on the exciting fast paced stuff. So the border wall, for example, I think was really exciting to Trump not because he cares about it, but because it seemed impossible. And so what if we could, what if Congress and what if some other people could come to him and say, hey, maybe not the border wall, but here's something even more impossible. You think you could pull that off and let's work together and you can look like the hero. So instead of trying to resist him on the border wall, how about replacing it with something like, like meet his 10 and raise it 20? Ah, okay. So like what I had to do with my child, take the knife out of her hand and put a blunt stick. Yeah. We, I think that the thing we ha- we have to realize is he does not have a core value system. He does not, he doesn't believe in anything except himself. So when he gets, when he gets really passionate and um, charismatic about things, it's not because he believes in them. It's because they're exciting for him. And so if we realize that, we can give him, we can distract him with something even more exciting rather than trying to stop him from doing what he wants. Nate, thank you so much for your insight. I think we should give him special assignments. They love (laughs) special assignments. And the people that are close to him need to give him special things to do. Clinton knows all about this. Former President Clinton was a huge, um, actually was personally trained and coached by Dr. Tabby Kaler in these personality types. And he used it every single day uh, to become what many people believe is one of the best communicators of all time. Um, so I think special assignments. Nate Rigier is a former practicing psychologist with the University of Kansas, a Ph.D., and the CEO and co-founder of leadership communications consulting firm Next Element. He joined us from Kansas. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have a co-producer for this episode. Oh, we do? Oh, good. Two-footed, not four as we've had recently. 
Oh, okay, good. Yeah, Michael Boulay pledged $25, which makes him a co-producer of the world's most popular podcast. We'll put his name on the album art, send it off to him so he can print it off, frame it, hang it in his parents' basement. Uh, we want to say thanks to Rob Rimmer, uh, who uh, downgraded uh, from being a, a $25 donor down to 5 bucks. That's still very generous. Thank you so much. Thank you to Dave Duva as well, who is a member of the world's worst intern program twice over. He's donating 2 bucks, not one. And uh, that's great. Every time we put out an episode on Patreon, Patreon, we uh, ding your credit card. But the neat thing is, is we can set a lifetime limit. So we won't ring your card up till kingdom come. And it helps as well if, if you want to set a big limit one day, but not uh, another. So thank you so much uh, for helping us out. And of course, if you want something in return, other than just credit, you go to geeksandbeats.com and get yourself uh, uh, some of the store swag. Yes. And if you buy one thing, buy your miracle travel mug of traveling. Again, I cannot say it enough. It is the greatest travel mug you will ever have. Everything good on your end everything's fine you like the iphone 10 you're looking forward to that are you i got up at uh, three o'clock in the morning on friday and i sat down and i hit refresh 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 i had three or four browser windows open i was getting nothing <laughs> no seriously so I'm, I'm there in my bathrobe and i'm you know click 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 nothing's happening i, I just get this message saying we're updating the, the apple store uh for your convenience coming soon coming soon and then at 307 uh, it it finally clicks on, <gasps> and it's like, oh, oh, okay. So then I panic, and I get the 256 gig model. I get a case. I get Apple Care. I get a charger, and then I see two to three weeks. Yep. So sometime around the 21st ish of of November, I'll be getting my iPhone 10. You are very lucky to get one at all because they sold out on those pre-orders within 30 minutes of that website going live. But have I not taught you anything about the Apple Care warranty? I railed about this the last time. It's not worth it. Well, it was worth it for me a couple of times in the last two weeks. I had RAM fail on one computer and I had hardware fail on the other. These things cost a lot of would have cost a significant amount of money to fix, and my Apple Care. Uh, stop. It was 250 bucks, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, so 250 plus you're going to have to pay, I think it's another 250 uh, for an incident. It's that that's your deductible on what, anything. Wait, you might what, as well, what, are you, what are you talking about? Did you not read the fine print? There's a deductible on my 250? There's a deductible. If you want to get it replaced, if you if the screen smashes or something goes wrong like that, uh, your Apple Care extended warranty will give them the ability to give you a brand new one, but you're going to have to pay uh, 250 some odd bucks to make that happen. Oh, um. So it's 500 bucks you've laid out for one incident, and you get a maximum of two incidences, or incidai, and uh, once you're done, you're done. So you might as well just go to one of those mall kiosks and get a new screen that way. Oh. Um, I... I I guess I haven't been listening that, that carefully to what you're saying. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.